Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. On lack of authenticity, and I want to speak specifically to the concept of religion, toxic religion, religiosity, and we're going to revisit some points that I've shared in the past, but I've rejuged them, I've freshened them up, and I think it'll bless you this morning. And really what I want to get to today is to land at a place for you where you feel empowered, equipped, challenged, inspired to live out an authentic faith where it is alive in your heart, as well as appearing on the surface. But certainly not where you are passionate about your faith appearing on the surface, but not about it penetrating into your heart. Where it's authentic in the sense that you're legitimately loving and seeking God in every aspect of your life. I want you to avoid having actions without devotion. And you need to know that as a church, Global Heart Church, our heart for you is that you would never do an action without it being rooted in devotion to God. And we've given that funny example before of, you know, no one wants to do 300 squats at two in the morning. However, if you're rocking your own baby to sleep and it now carries that meaning and purpose, you don't mind. And in the life of church, no one wants to drive from Cervantes to play bass for two services or whatever. And Maybe he does, but as soon as you insert into that devotion, worship to God, building of the house, it's not so bad. It's like no one wants to pick up a youth kid from Yanship who doesn't thank you. And then you drop him back at 9.30 at night. But as soon as it's about connecting him to Jesus, the youth leaders are like, let's do it. And I'll shout in Maccas. So it's this whole thing of as soon as you insert devotion into action, everything we do for God feels alive. As soon as we do any sort of action within church or connected to our faith without it being rooted in devotion to God, we are actually coming under some form of religion. And so my message today is entitled Religiously Non-Religious. And I want to dispel some misconceptions about religion. I want to try and make sense of the concept of religiosity and gain more insight into what faith in Jesus is really about. And and who I'm really hoping to help today are religious, averse non-believers, of which I'm sure there are some here today. I'm trying to help religious believers, and I want to bring some clarity to the difference between faith and bad religion. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And God, we just celebrate the opportunity to be in your house. God, we're so grateful for our church. And we we just thank you, Lord, that you are building our church. And we thank you that right now, God, you're in this place by your spirit to help us, to speak to us. And God, we just invite you today to do something powerful and supernatural in us. And I just pray, God, that this word right now would just fall on good soil. Even now, Holy Spirit, do a work on our hearts that that we may receive what it is you want to say. And so we just give you praise in advance for all that you're going to do in this service. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at James chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I'll just read verse 22 again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. What that scripture means is that those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word, uh, world. <laughs> Getting polluted by the world. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Have, have you ever heard um, someone say, or have you said, I'm not a religious person? Yeah. You ever heard someone say that? Yeah. Maybe you said that. Yeah. Have you ever heard a practicing slash professing Christian say that? Yeah. yeah. That could be very confusing. Yeah. Have you ever heard or have you said, don't push your religion on me? Yeah. Has anyone ever heard that before? I've got a funny story. I was invited to a a party when I was in year 12 at school uh, by someone at school and they said, hey, I'm having a party at my house on Friday night. We're going to have a few drinks. Would you like to come? And I said, "Um, I I won't be able to come. I politely declined. I said, I'll I'll be at church on Friday night. And they went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't push your religion on me. (laughs) And I was like, at at the party? I won't even be there. Last one, have you ever heard someone say this or have you said, it's not about religion, it's about relationship? Who said that before? You may have that in your Instagram bio right now, I don't know. (laughs) But again, that statement can be a little bit more confusing. Even more confusing is this, I today, a religious leader, who in a moment will read from a religious text about the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who missed the heart of the religion that they professed religiously. That's what we're going to talk about today. So what does it all mean? What do, you, what do we do with that information? I'm glad you asked. A few definitions to help us today. Now, religion, officially the definition is this, a system of faith and worship, service and worship of God, human beings and their relationship to the divine. Now we start getting into the outward a little bit more. It says a pursuit of great devotion. And that's why we say things like, he follows the footy religiously, or he loves his sport religiously. And and if you're a Christian, you'd hope people say, he follows Jesus religiously. (laughs) That'd be a good thing. But another definition of religious is this, scrupulous conformity. And this definition speaks more to the heart of the negative side, which we're going to look at today. And lastly, this is a very popular definition of religion, 
is this idea, and actually it stems from the Bible where it comes from, is this idea of to bind, to bind. Now that sounds like a horrible term to apply to someone's faith, but it's actually quite beautiful. It speaks to deep engagement with practices of faith. Now, as the message title suggests, I am religiously non-religious. However, in some sense, I personally am deeply religious. I'm a deeply religious person. I am committed. I have committed my entire life to Jesus Christ. I am religious because no area of my life is not touched by my faith in Christ. And I say that in faith, because I'm sure that there are some areas that need to be touched a little bit more by my faith in Christ. But I say that as a religious person, I'm by faith believing each and every day that no area of my life is not touched by my faith in Christ. I am devoted to God. I'm devoted to the Word, to the Bible. I am committed to the church of Jesus Christ. I have a commitment to God's people. I have a commitment to you. I am intentionally and daily engaging with the teachings of Jesus and trying to be like Him. I am religious because I identify with the religion of Christianity because I identify with the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anything I know and can know of God comes from the Word of God, the Bible, which is the holy, supernatural, God-breathed Word of God. But... I am religiously non-religious when religion becomes things I do to earn God's approval. I'm extremely non-religious when it becomes about behaviours to impress people. When I start to use God and the Bible to control people. I'm religiously non-religious when it becomes about the the use of God for my own gain. The use of the church for my own gain using the teachings of Christ to hurt rather than to heal. I'm religiously non-religious when religion becomes going through the motions, doing what Christians do without truly being what one is. I'm religiously non-religious when it becomes about expressions without faith, knowing the acts of God but not the ways of God, living out the behaviours without the transformation, giving out the instructions without the heart, the what without the why, the knowledge without the wisdom. This is an important one. You may want to write this down. I'm religiously non-religious when it becomes about wanting others to follow Jesus and his teachings because of how it affects me. I'll say that again. I'm religiously non-religious when I'm wanting others to follow Jesus and his teaching because of how it affects me. I'm religiously non-religious when it becomes about the goal of getting to heaven with no care of who else comes. I'm religiously non-religious when it comes to the desire to get into a paradise called heaven without the desire to walk with a person called Jesus. Now, religion means to bind. And for that to get the, the meaning, the beautiful meaning of what that means for us, the question is, who's doing the binding? Because... Being bound to Christ is something that the individual decides to do out of devotion to God. It should be the individual, not an outside source. And you will see in history, churches 
and countries who have tried to do external binding on individuals to get them to do what the Bible says they should do without trying to connect them to the person of Jesus Christ. A good example of that is what's happening or has happened in the city of Montreal, where we have a Global Heart Church. Uh, the, the church historically there, through government and different things like that, were enforcing upon people religious behaviours and, and the binding was someone binding them to religious practices rather than pointing them towards connection to Jesus. It can also happen in, in a smaller sense when you have unbound parents trying to bind their kids to Christian behaviours. And we can want to bind people to behaviours rather than connect them to a relationship with Jesus that we are currently enjoying. What you've got to understand, everybody, is that out of the relationship with God, the behaviours come. The behaviours don't save you. They don't ensure that you keep up your end of the bargain. But they do point to the fact that there is a relationship happening. It's the fruit of salvation. And it's not even a matter of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Is it salvation and then the fruit of salvation? It needs to be salvation first. Yeah. I'm, I'm born again. I've got revelation of God. I love God. And then out of that, I behave that way. Yeah. We should never want someone to behave that way without the devotion to God. And I've got a screen real quick, religion versus devotion. Just got three quick points to have a look at. It's going to kind of inform a little bit more of what I'm going to say. So here's two of the differences, So or three of the differences. Religion, bound to behaviours, and devotion is devoted to God. Number two, religion is about earning, and devotion is about receiving. Good. Number three, pursuing holiness is religion, and devotion is pursuing Christ. All right, so let's keep moving. So religiosity is when we we do the expressions without the right motive, uh, without faith and without conviction. And I don't know if you've heard that saying, the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. I love that saying. And what can happen is if we're not careful, we become the tail wagging the dog where the wrong thing is in control of the movement. So if you picture a a dog, the dog's stagnant and the tail's wagging, just imagine if the tail was uh, was stagnant and the dog was wagging. That's what sometimes religious Christianity looks like, is we start to try to assign meaning to certain religious behaviours. And rather than just behaving out of devotion to God. And a few months ago, I preached on financial devotion to God. And I spoke about the tithe. And Pastor Davinia spoke on the tithe this morning. And I made this statement when I preached. And some people were dancing in the aisles. I said, if you feel obligated or pressured to give financially at church, we'd prefer you didn't. That's what I said at this pulpit. If you feel pressured to give financially or obligated as a church, we'd prefer you didn't. Because we know that God would prefer you didn't. And afterwards, a few people in the foyer thanked me in jest and said, thank you, Pastor. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Then I caught one of the eyes of the accountants just like, no, I'm just kidding. kidding." (laughs) But listen, that point... That point is so important. It's so important. In our faith, devotion to Jesus Christ, you don't have to do anything. And you literally don't have to do anything. 
But what this does is it releases you from obligation and only in that can you be released into devotion. You, You cannot live a devoted life to Christ if you don't have another choice. You have choice every day. You had choice to come to church today. You had choice to give financially if you did give financially. You have choice to serve on base today and drive some from from Cervantes. Because of that choice, that now carries meaning. You're out of obligation into devotion. It is now worship to God. And that is what toxic religion seeks to do. It seeks to rob you of devotion by making it obligation. Toxic religion seeks to rob you of devotion by making it obligation. You don't have to do anything. But what I say as a faith-filled believer is I say, God, I choose to for, the, for your glory and as worship to you. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. I reckon there's about a thousand YouTube channels that if they just read that passage, they would shut them down. But let's move on. Verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Great. You know, in the New Testament, everybody, no group of people gets challenged. Some translations say roasted. (laughs) No group of people gets challenged by Jesus more than the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Um, Some content from my study Bible, which explained them really well. This is speaking of the Pharisees. It says this, they did not follow God with a pure heart. Their religion was not true worship of God. Rather, it was rooted in a prideful heart. The the religious leaders added to God's law, making it a burden. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount emphasises the true intent of the law over the letter of the law. The scribes and Pharisees emphasised the letter, completely missing its spirit. I thought that was pretty good. So their speech and their dress, so the Pharisees, was like a big flashing sign letting everyone know who was in and who was out. And it was complete with finger pointing and finger wagging. And the Pharisees, everybody, they showed contempt for people who could not live up to their own high standards. And and back in those days, it was almost like classifying people, us and them. The Bible tells us the Pharisees were self-seeking, greedy and full of pride. And they forgot the greater issues of mercy, love and compassion. And in Matthew chapter 23, we're not going to read the whole thing today, but Jesus absolutely obliterates the Pharisees. He condemns the Pharisees. And he's teaching you and I today as he does. There's truth in this this passage for you and I. 
and I've created highlights of the whole chapter and I'm uh, quietly a fan of the UFC and sometimes what happens in the UFC, they'll take a 25-minute fight, they'll condense it down to one minute and it's like, here's the, the, the short highlights of this beatdown. I'm going to give you the short highlights of the beatdown that Jesus gives the Pharisees. <laughs> here's what he said. Get ready for this. This is better than any UFC highlights you've ever seen. <laughs> the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. This is Jesus speaking of Pharisees. Just giving you the highlights. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. This is that point I was making before about getting to heaven, not caring about who else comes. Frustrated by people not being a Christian because of how it affects you. This is all that coming out of the, the scripture here. They, uh, everything they do is done for people to see. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. <coughs> Jesus was only ever kind. He never offended anyone. Come on, guys. This is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You blind guides, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a whole camel. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Imagine Jesus calling you this. You are, a, you are like a whitewashed tomb. Beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? That's a beatdown. In that chapter... I've just given you the condensed version, but in that chapter, there are seven woes to the Pharisee, to the Pharisees. They are called hypocrites, blind, children of hell, a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. You know who Jesus never talked to like that? Sinners. He never talked to sinners in scripture like that. The, the most angry you will find Jesus in scripture is at religious leaders. The biggest offensive bombs he drops are at religious leaders being religious. Jesus never talked to sinners like that. Listen to this in verse 23 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Listen to this. Their, their religiosity, right? They were tithing on their cumin. Is anyone here today so devoted to God that you tithe on the, Him the Himalayan pink salt in your pantry? It's like, hey, have you tithed the salt? Oh, no, let me just go get the salt. And you get out 10% of your shaker. Have you tithed the pepper? Have you tithed, the, uh, tithed on the everything bagel spice? You know, you're tithing everything. They tithed on everything. They were so devoted to the practices, but Jesus says they're completely missing the heart. Yeah. 
And now what we've got to understand is that these Pharisees, they were devoted to reading Old Testament Scripture. Many of them knew the Torah off by heart. They'd be able to recite the first five books of the Bible off by heart. They were familiar with all of the Old Testament prophets, major prophets, minor prophets. They had access to Scriptures like this. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. Let's have a look. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That passage is essentially getting people's hearts and their minds away from what must I sacrifice, what must I give to connect and have access to God. And even in the Old Testament, it's foreshadowing where we would step into today, where we say we're a part of the kingdom of the heart. We are in a faith of the heart. God sees our hearts. I can't give him a firstborn camel. I can't give him a thousand rivers of oil. But what's good is he doesn't actually want that. He wants my heart. He wants me to get to the heart of his heart. My devotion, my mercy, my kindness, my faithfulness. To love mercy and to walk humbly with God. What do modern day religious people look like? Behaviours to impress people. The use of God for our own gain. The use of the church for personal gain. Using God to control people. Using the teachings of Christ to hurt rather than to heal. Doing what Christians do without being truly what one is. Wanting others to follow Jesus and His teaching because of how it affects us. The goal of getting to heaven with no care of who else comes. The desire to get into a paradise called heaven without the desire to walk with a person called Jesus. Practically, it's the classic telling everyone else what they should be doing when you haven't listened to what God is saying to you. It's the classic revival to the nations with no desire for revival in me, with no desire for revival in my family. It's trying to bring to the masses on the outside what God is trying to do on the inside of me. It's putting an emphasis on everyone else's behaviour and getting away from my own personal commitment. If we're not careful, we too can be more active in seeing Christ in the behaviours of others rather than Christ on the throne of our heart. Especially nowadays, there's a lot of lawlessness in the earth. The Bible tells us as Christ's approach is coming that people will say that what is evil is good and what is good is evil. We are seeing that all the time. What we've got to not do, everybody, is be more passionate about seeing Christ in others' behaviours then we are passionate about seeing Christ on the throne of our heart. When Christ is on the throne of your heart, you'll bring about godly change in an ungodly environment. We want to see God in people, not the Bible's written instructions on their hands. We want to see Christ on their heart. We can be annoyed by people's ignorance when we should be grieved by their sin. There's too many Christians making fun of lost, ungodly people when we should be grieved by their lostness. It's not about, of course that's going to happen. It's not about they should be doing this, they should be changing that. We should be grieved by their lostness, by their sin, and be wanting to connect them to the person of Christ before we are about amending their behaviours so they look like we think everybody should. We should have empathy for their brokenness, not jokes for their issues. And we should give more effort to the issues in us. 
you need to be and I need to be way more engaged in correcting the issues in me than I am correcting the issues on someone who's not even a believer. The Bible tells us not to do that. They're lost. They're doing what they do. What are you doing? And that's the whole idea with don't correct the speck in someone's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. Now, one strange thing that my generation says about Pharisees, particularly online, is that religious leaders tried to change people and Jesus tried to love them. That seems to be a popular narrative. They say religious leaders tried to change people, Jesus tried to love them. But you know what Jesus was trying to do by loving them? Change them. There's this idea that Jesus doesn't want people to change, he just wants to love them. Through his love, he's trying to change them. It is not loving to tell a caterpillar, don't change. It is destined to be a butterfly. It needs to go through a metamorphosis, a transformation. You're great as a caterpillar. You don't need a fly, you're fine. Before Christ, we're like a caterpillar. There's capacity and potential through the transformation that salvation brings. We need a massive change. And I'll just talk about myself for a second. Before I was a Christian, before I was born again, if someone had said to me, you're a legend, you're enough, you're awesome, you don't need to change, that would have crippled me completely. I needed to change astronomically. I needed to change the way that I thought, the way that I spoke, my desires, my attitudes, my heart, all of that had to change. And Jesus, through his love, is trying to change people. Proximity to them wasn't affirmation of their behaviour. We've just got to get that clear. He was loving on them to try and bring about godly change in their life. And Jesus is not about improvement. He's about transformation. He's about fresh start. He's about start again. If it's not clear clear enough, that's why we talk about being born again, completely from the ground up. Colossians 2 verse 1 says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened by the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I'll just read that last verse again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I say all that to say this. I am religiously non-religious. I'm devoted to not being conformed to behaviours but to being united with Christ. I'm devoted to not being conformed to behaviours, but united with Christ. I'm not being conformed into a fleshly religious image of what I think could draw me near to God or what will impress people. I'm being transformed into His likeness by the washing of the Word. I'm free from the approval of people because in Christ and because of Him, I am approved. 
My condition is not determined by my behaviour or the determinations of people. My standing before God is not determined by my behaviour or by the determinations of people. I am who God says I am. I am not my past sins or tomorrow's failings. I'm a new creation. And God is taking me forward to His ways, away from who I was, who I thought I was, and into who He designed me to be. Now, that's not true of everyone in this room because not everybody in this room has been born again. Not everybody in this room has received salvation through faith in Jesus. And perhaps you're trying to earn it your way or perhaps you're trying to follow some sort of religious guideline on how you can approach God. The good news for you is that God has approached you. That God in His love and His grace sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we deserved so that we could have connection with God. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage because Christ came on a pilgrimage to us. You don't have to wear any specific sort of clothing because you can be clothed in His righteousness. The Bible even tells us we're not defiled by what goes into our mouth, but by what comes out of it. So you can eat beef on Friday, I guess, whatever you want to do. I'll let Pastor Div touch on that stuff at another day. I felt the tension in the room. But commitment, salvation, faith, devotion to Jesus, it is something that is your choice. Your parents' salvation can't be imposed on you and you're not saved because of their devotion. It has to be your decision. And you might be spewing because you're like, I've been walking in their salvation for many, many years. But that's good news because it means you've got choice. You've got a say in your faith. And have you had a say? Have you decided who God is to you? Have you decided to put Him first in your life? Now, I am um, a son of pastors. And so I was raised in the church. I was there every Sunday doing all of the stuff. I, I didn't get saved until I was 12. And people might think that's a little bit late for a pastor's kid. Um, I think my dad might have a few things to say about that. He was praying for a long time. But what's good about that is that I was on a journey just like everybody needs to go on. Who is Jesus to me? What do I think about that? And, and, and slowly as I opened my heart, revelation came. And what's so interesting is that for many years, and you'd know from things that my dad says, there was obligation <laughs> to the house of God. We go to church as a family. We do go to church. And so we go to church and, you know, you're on the front row of your PSP, gritted teeth, you know, just seeing the service out. But what's amazing is once obligation was slowly coming away, I was released from that, released into devotion. And now today I'm a Christian not because of what my parents do, not because of who my, my parents are, not because of what my, brother, my brothers believe, none of that. I've made a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ and I'm devoted to Him. And I'm aware, I'm thoroughly aware that I'm not saved because I've done things. I'm saved because I've received from Him. And I'm not in good standing with God because I eat a certain diet, worship on a certain day, do certain things, whatever it might be. I, I'm, I have good standing with God because of Jesus. And so I'm not religious in the sense that I'm bound to behaviours, but I'm incredibly religious in terms of my devotion to Christ. And if religion is to be bound, I'm bound to Jesus. But guess who's doing the binding? I'm doing the binding. 
You don't have to bind me to Him. The government doesn't have to bind me to Him. I have bound myself out of choice to the one who I know gave everything so that I could have a relationship with Him. Some of you today have already made a, a personal decision to put your faith in Christ, but you're walking out your faith religiously. You pick bone, you, you have funny bones to pick with things. You'll have a huge argument with someone about how God needs to be in the government. You're not giving enough thought to God being in your house. You're not giving enough thought to you being in God's house. You've got something to say about other people's devotion to Christ. Get caught up in your own. That's what religious Christianity is. It's pointing the finger at everybody except you. We've got to be more concerned about Christ on the throne of our heart than Christ in the behaviours of others. Don't be a religious Christian. Let it go. If people make bad choices, pray for them, encourage them, show them the way, example it. And don't try and bind people. Even with your children, the best thing you can do for your children's faith is example, an incredible one. Example, great devotion to Jesus Christ. Love His church, speak well of the church, be in the Word, be praying. And and I'm feeling the challenge of that, even with Micah, our son. He's only two and a half. He's already made a couple of comments to me like, I don't want to go to church today. And I'm like, ooh. This is easy to fix now. When he's 17, it might be a little bit trickier. So we've got to do some practice. And so I got a word from heaven and I just said to him, there's biscuits in Christ. No, I didn't. Here's the thing though, I'm getting... I'm telling you, he'll be in Christ next service just perceiving, you know. But as a, as a young parent, I can see already there's, there's various ways to go about this with your kids. But one thing me and Bianca are incredibly aware of is that if we model an example, love and devotion to God and His house, He'll come on the journey. Because I've modelled and exampled love for a couple of things. He's just come on the journey. Loves pizza, loves drums. Nature or nurture, it's nurture. But I realise I can nurture in a love for God as well. And then one day, like me, He'll be released into devotion. He'll be bound to Christ. And who's doing the binding? In Jesus' name, Micah's going to be doing the binding. And he's going to make that choice. And he might have a couple of speed wobbles, as we all do. Don't judge me, you've had speed wobbles too. Yeah? But God in His grace, He's not looking for perfection. He loves our pursuit. And what's so encouraging for you and I is that any pursuit we could go on for Christ His pursuit of us is much greater. And His pursuit of you has you here today in church to hear that you're loved, to hear that He he has a great life for you, a great plan and purpose for this life. But more importantly, uh, God has you here today so that you can know that you can have eternal life in Him, where the next life is one filled with peace and paradise and joy and in the presence of the Father. So as we close, why don't you stand, everybody? I just close with this scripture, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 5 says, if, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's not a whole lot you have to do today to receive salvation except believe and confess 
And at that moment, the miracle of salvation can come to your life. And all who call upon the Name of the Lord will be saved. You can be saved. And this morning, I wanna invite you to call upon the Name of the Lord. I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand in a moment, if that's you. And we're gonna pray a short prayer. We're gonna believe and we're gonna confess. And through that today, you don't have to do any other religious behaviours, any sort of hoops you have to dive through. You believe and confess and God will meet you where you're at. He's pursuing you. He loves you. He loves you so much. And so... Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.